Welcome to Learn Buddhism. I'm Alan Pito. What makes up an enlightened being? What are their qualities and virtues? In Buddhism, we call these paramitas or perfections. In Theravada, there are 10 perfections, and in Mahayana, there are six perfections. The big difference between Theravada and Mahayana is that Theravada does not necessarily focus on these 10 perfections as they have in their tradition because they are focused on the path of arhatship. Although, yes, there are some that will go on that path towards becoming a bodhisattva. The path in Mahayana is the path of the bodhisattva that's striving towards becoming a Buddha. So because of that, they focus on the six paramitas or six perfections as a core central part of their practice. Now, things such as the Noble Eightfold Path are still inside Mahayana, but because, again, they are on this path of the Bodhisattva, they are striving towards becoming a fully awakened being, a Buddha. They are focusing on these six perfections as the core of their practice. What's really interesting about this and something I really love about it is that these, as I mentioned, are the qualities what we see inside a perfected, enlightened being. But they are used by laypersons and monastics as the path, as the practice, as what we're trying to cultivate in everyday life as we strive towards that goal. So yes, these are what we see altogether inside a perfected being, an enlightened being. But for us, we're using it as a path a practice that we can work on cultivating that will eventually accumulate in becoming an enlightened being. Between the two traditions, Theravada basically got their 10 perfections from the Buddha's past life tales, so where he was a bodhisattva through many existences. And so that's where they got it. Whereas we see in Mahayana, they got that from many of the Mahayana sutras. But because Mahayana is the path of the bodhisattva, those Mahayana Sutras are referencing the Bodhisattva path and also these perfections that we see in enlightened beings. So very similar in some ways, but they are nuanced in that particular way. So because this is practiced primarily in Mahayana, I'm going to focus on the six perfections inside this episode. So what are the six perfections? They are giving or generosity, morality, patience, diligence or energy, meditative concentration, and prajna wisdom. So let's go into these and show how you can apply these to your practice and what they mean. The first one is the perfection of generosity or giving. And so in Mahayana Buddhism, we have something called bodhicitta. And this is this enlightened mind where we want to aspire to become enlightened for all sentient beings. It is really the heart of Mahayana Buddhism because it is the path of the Bodhisattva and of an enlightened being like a Buddha. So this is something that we want to cultivate. How do you cultivate that? Generosity. That's why it's number one. And you find this inside Theravada as well. Generosity is this core foundational thing all throughout Buddhism, which is wonderful. So you see a lot of Buddhists around the world, a lot of lay Buddhists, Generosity, the practice of generosity, and also the next perfection of morality and conduct is so central to their practice 
because it's so foundational. If you don't have this, it's gonna be very challenging to really perfect anything else. So when we see the perfection of generosity, it is where we are establishing this bodhicitta. We're trying to have this aspiration to realize enlightenment, not just for ourselves, but all sentient beings. And this is where we have to really open ourselves up because a lot of times we have this love of self, which we're trying to break down in Buddhism. And so we want to do things for us, not really for anybody else. So this practice of generosity is helping us break down the love of self and open up really this enlightened heart, enlightened mind inside us by giving to others, even especially when there's nothing that's going to be given in return. So this is where you see it as far as a, a layperson practice, giving towards their temple, giving to monastics, or sometimes special ceremonies, for example, on that, uh, volunteering to other people in your community and life and everything else. Generosity is not always financial. It's not always material. It could even be giving time, listening to somebody, kind words, stuff like that. Generosity is something that we can practice, but we often don't practice. We think we do, but we don't always. The second paramita or perfection is this perfection of morality. And this really, in my opinion, goes hand in hand with generosity because having generosity is great. And this is so foundational. But if your morality, your conduct isn't there, you're, you're losing another foundational piece. And so how do we practice this perfection of morality? The Buddha gave us everything. So we have things such as the precepts. And so the five precepts are very foundational throughout Buddhism because this helps us perfect our morality and conduct. So precepts, yes, they are sometimes called rules, but really they are rules that we want to take on because we want to become enlightened. And so these constraints, if you will, this, this path on the road is the precepts. Because without it, you could be just swerving all over the place and going all these different paths. So precepts, yes, they're rules, but they're rules that help you because you want to become an enlightened being. They help you get to that path. The five precepts are just as the foundational bare bones, if you will, precepts. But a lot in Mahayana, well, especially on observance days throughout the month or even during retreats, for example, they'll take on additional precepts. There's the eight precepts. So these precepts are a way that we can progress on the path. Now, the monastics, they have hundreds of precepts. So the five precepts, very foundational and very small, but very core and important. And then you see with the monastics, they have even more because they are religious figures and they are all in, as I say, inside Buddhism. They're gave up everything and they became monastics but they have precepts because of their status as monastics they have to follow additional rules if you will that help them guide them towards enlightenment so when we're looking at this perfection of morality it is as i mentioned in a way with generosity because we are really building up compassion inside us. And I'll even go far as say loving kindness as well, metta. So this is so important because generosity, compassion, these are 
core things between the two major branches of Buddhism, Theravada and Mahayana. And so when laypersons practice, which is going to be a lot of their foundational practice in traditional Buddhism, this is helping you. A lot of times we think, oh, it must be just meditation I need to focus on. There's a reason these two are, are at the very beginning. And while it might seem simplistic, well, compassion, morality, and this, this generosity, why? Just look at the perfection of morality. An enlightened being doesn't have to go, I wonder which of the five precepts or hundreds of precepts I need to use for this situation or this encounter or, or whatever. They have perfected it. So we are so mired in this everyday existence that that's challenging for us. We think we may get it, but that's really challenging. So we are really shaping ourselves and our minds and our conduct and generosity and everything else. That's why they're at the beginning. So this enlightened being, generous, perfection, generosity, they got it. That's natural from this. Is, all these perfections are the true self, the true nature of us. But we have clouded ourselves from this true nature. So we're having to rebuild it, basically, strip away everything that's keeping us from realizing it. So a true enlightened being like a Buddha or a Bodhisattva, they got the generosity down pat. They don't have to think about it. It's part of their true nature. Morality, that's part of their true nature. They don't have to think about it. It's just who they are because they have revealed their true nature. That goes to our next one, the perfection of patience. Patience is something we often have little of in our world just because everything's coming at us all the time and our patience is thin or low or sometimes even non-existence. But when we're talking about it here inside Buddhism, it's this ability to withstand patience, patience. And so when we're dealing with something that happens to us or maybe with somebody else or even as it relates to the truth of the Buddha's teachings, the Dharma, we have to have patience. So in these everyday situations, maybe we're dealing with somebody else, patience. Do you have a limited amount of patience? A lot of us do. Maybe driving on the road, somebody cuts you off. The patience is cut thin or non-existence. Or what about a personal hardship that you might have? Maybe an illness, or maybe it could be a financial situation or anything else. Our patient just gets really, really low. But what about even the Buddhist truth? So we don't want to always accept that. We don't want to also believe that. And that may seem very unusual because you're listening to a Buddhist podcast, right? And you're like, well, I'm a Buddhist or I believe in Buddhism. But a lot of the truths we don't want to really accept because maybe it doesn't align with what we believe. Things such as rebirth or even karma or these different concepts that we have in Buddhism. It's like, well, maybe I believe in this or not. And so I don't really have the patience to really spend a decade, for example, trying to understand this. I'm going to do what's easy for me. So we do what's easy for us in a, in a personal hardship or maybe easy for us when we're dealing with somebody else and easy for us when we're trying to understand the Buddhist Dharma. And so this one's saying you have to perfect this patience because when we are 
encountering people and ourselves and, and the Dharma. We have to have patience with it because this is something we, my analogy I always use is this really extremely dirty, crusted over window. You can't see outside, but you're seeing shadows and assuming, right? You're spending your Buddhist practice trying to clean that window, reveal your true nature, true self, understand what the truth is. And if we don't have the patience for that, well, we're just going to do what's easy. So different ways that works in the most bare bones way. Do you accept the Buddha's Four Noble Truths? This is foundational in Buddhism. These are the truths that Buddha taught us about our existence and essentially how to, how to overcome that. You know, Nirvana and the Eightfold Path and everything else he taught us, but it's these truths. Do we accept those truths, right? So as Buddhists, we do. We accept the Four Noble Truths that the Buddha taught. We understand dukkha. We understand the suffering that he talked about, what, how it became, what's causing it, basically. We're, then we're seeing there's a path out of this. You can be free of suffering, this dukkha, and that's through the Buddha's path. So we have to accept that. And this path, it's like going on a very long journey to another city at night with just your headlights on. It, that patience has to be there for this long journey. It's not going to happen tomorrow. So when we are realizing all these truths, we're going to feel uncomfortable. And we want to cling, crave, and attach ourselves to things that we already believe in or f feels right to us in situations, in the Buddhist truth, and with our situations. And so because of that, we have to understand that just like that dirty window analogy or dirty mirror, whatever you want to call, whichever one you want to use, we have to understand we are confused about what we see. And so Buddhism, we call this uh, ignorance and resulting delusion of it. And I'm referring there to the three fires or three poisons in Buddhism, which is something we are trying to put out because that is part of our practice. And that's where we have this clinging and craving attachment we have, the greed, if you will. We have this anger and hatred because we realize the true nature of the world. We, we can't cling and crave the things to always make us feel this way or believe in this permanence, which doesn't exist, impermanence rules in Buddhism. So we get angry and mad, you know, at, at resulting things that occur naturally, but we don't understand it that way. And that results in this ignorance of the Buddhist truth and resulting delusion. And an analogy I give for that is, just imagine you're driving on the wrong side of the road, but you believe it's the right side of the road. Well, you might get a little bit down the road, but could you be involved in a major accident? Yeah, absolutely. And that could affect, of course, yourself and others. But to you, you're living in this state of delusion because of the ignorance of the truth. In this case, in this analogy is, the truths of how we drive on the road safely and correctly. And so it results in these actions. But to you, it's like, well, how did I get into this accident? Why did this occur? This is wrong. But you were in a delusional state believing this is right, but you haven't been exposed to the truth. And so that's why in Buddhism, the Buddha's Dharma is exposing you to the truth, which is uncomfortable. These teachings are uncomfortable because we've been living so long in this clouded, illusionary existence in the cycle of rebirth. And so because of that, it's going to take time. We have to have patience. 
then there's this perfection of diligence or energy, whichever one you want to call it. And this is where we are. Do you want to become enlightened, right? You know, is it just like, well, I'll do it when I can, or, eh, you know, that would be great, you know, but I really want to go see this movie or something. Where is your diligence at? Where is your energy at? You know, does driving an, an hour or a couple of hours to a, a temple seem like, oh, that's too much, or is that exciting to you? It's like, I can't wait to get there so I can be around monastics. I can learn. I can practice, right? Uh, or, you know, instead of reading this Dharma teaching or attending an online, for example, if you're not in your temple, an, an online Dharma session, is that really an inconvenience to you? Like, where are you putting your, your energy towards? Where is your diligence in this effort towards becoming enlightened? So you have to become essentially courageous. You have to have courage, which sounds a little unusual, right? But you have to have courage because this is a scary path. It's a wonderful path, but to us in our illusionary world and our clouded, you know, ignorant, delusional mind, we see this a lot of times, oh, that's not really comfortable. I don't really like that. But we have to be courageous, have this courage to press forward on the path towards enlightenment because your mind can make you believe what makes you feel comfortable. So if your mind does not want to be tamed or controlled, it wants to be in charge. You think you're in charge, but your mind's actually in charge and it's taking you all over the place. And that's not your true self. So when we challenge that, it's going to feel very uncomfortable. And so that's where courage is so important. And so that's why we have this perfection of diligence, energy to get us, to keep us on this path. Then we have the perfection of meditative concentration. And this is where you traditionally or in your mind, you think of, oh, sitting meditation, right? But what we're talking about here is concentration. So sitting meditation is just one form of concentration. We have everything from chanting and recitation, which is extremely popular where we maybe recite or chant the name of a Buddha, such as Amitabha Buddha, the Buddha in Pure Land Buddhism, which is very popular, or you're doing visualization, or the traditional city meditation, or maybe walking meditation. All of these things are concentration inside Buddhism, because what we're trying to get to here is samadhi. We're trying to get to this single-pointed goal of concentration, which is extremely challenging, extremely challenging. That's why we have techniques inside Buddhism where we're trying to calm the mind, we're trying to settle the mind to, so we can get towards direct insight, which I'll talk about. We want to get to wisdom, but we have to work on this concentration, this meditative concentration. So the practice of chanting recitation, visualization, even sitting meditation, walking meditation, these are all techniques we have that help us get to the last perfection, which is this perfection of wisdom, which we call prajna. And so prajna paramita is what you're likely going to hear it as. It's this perfection of wisdom. And what are we talking about here? So in our last one, we're doing this meditative concentration. We're trying to get to that, that samadhi. We're trying to get to a single-pointed concentration, right? Because we're trying to settle, calm, tame this mind. Because the mind's trying to keep us 
from enlightenment. It doesn't want to be controlled. It's, it's, it's having fun right now. It's, it's allowing us to do whatever it wants to. It's in charge. And so we are prisoners in a cycle of rebirths due to that and the actions that result from it. So those three fires, right? Three fires, three poisons. We want to eliminate those, but your mind is fueling those. So we want to get to the single point of concentration so we can get to prajna paramita, the perfection of wisdom. Because wisdom, and there's going to be, and just prajna is going to be just defined in many different ways, and I hope I do it justice here, but this is where we fundamentally, not intellectually, but fundamentally understand the true nature of things. So when the Buddha became enlightened, he was, he's right there, he, he got through all these things, he's the number five, he's the perfection of meditative concentration, right? He's meditating, right? But he's not meditating just to meditate. He's trying to get to prajna paramita because this is where he fundamentally understands things. This is where you become enlightened. And in his case, also became the Buddha. Because right now, we believe in the idea of self, this permanent, unchanging, independent self. And this is really the a cause for all these issues in our world and a focus in Buddhism because we want to strip away that illusionary false belief because the Buddha says no you know everything is changing everything is impermanent and everything is interdependent upon each other it's this illusion that we have that we believe we are permanent unchanging independent that's the false self. That's the illusion, right? And so that what causes the three fires and all this, this chain reaction, right? So when he was able to get to prajna paramita, this prajna, this wisdom was of the true nature of the world. And fundamentally, it's about dependent origination, loosely cause and effect. But he understood deeply at that point about impermanence this, this, and this dependent origination and how everything comes into being and goes out of being and transforms all these different things. This is our true self and true existence. And so we need to get to this prajna. And when we try to just try to think of this intellectually, very, very challenging. Because, I mean, we have this belief in self, like as I mentioned, and and the belief in something called dualism. You know, we are just believing in this world that we're in. And so you sometimes hear in Buddhism, oh, it's an illusionary world, holographic world, and stuff like that, and it rises ideas in our minds of what that means. But what they're trying to say is, yes, our world is a projection of our mind, but yes, you can feel your desk, you can feel yourself, you can feel the, the computer and the phone that you have in your hand, right? All, all these things exist, but our perceptions and our interpretation and beliefs and reactions based upon them is this projection we're doing, this, this illusion, this world that we're creating based upon that because these senses that we have, these things are just feeding into us. But when we have prajna, <laughs> that all goes away. So just like Siddhartha Gautama, when he became the Buddha, transformed into the Buddha, here he when he encounters people and everything else, all these perfections are evident, right? Because he's now this enlightened being. So no longer is he affected or impacted or or conditioned in any way where he would go, oh, I believe they're talking bad about me or, oh, I, or I'm going to feel 
good or bad about this or I'm going to react this way. It's all God because his true self, true nature is there. And that's what we're trying to get. And so Prajna Paramita is this accumulation of all these other Paramitas together. But you can't just go, well, I'm just going to focus on maybe just a meditative concentration Prajna Paramita portion. The other ones, oh, they'll just fall into place when we get there. It doesn't work that way. They all build upon each other. And we practice them as lay Buddhists in different ways. You know, you may be better at the patience portion than I would be. Another person could be better at the meditative concentration portion than you and me might be. But we're working on all these to our capabilities and we're, we're continuing forward and practicing them. So for most Buddhists, they're really focusing on that generosity and the morality and also that compassion that's, that's core to those. That is where we see them there because that's very challenging for us to really develop these perfections. It really, really is because we're just mired in this world. So working on those is a core thing. And even the Buddha said that's really important. So it's not like, well, Buddha said just meditate. He said, no, this, this is important. Compass, compassion, generosity, loving kindness, that's important, like your conduct and morality. He, he made that a, a very key point that that is important for not just laypersons, but also monastics. So it's not all, it's just about that city meditation. But as you've learned, each one of these not only build upon each other, but they are showing that true nature of an aligned being, which we want to get to. So don't go, well, I'm just going to do city meditation. Focus on all of these as well, and you can do that through many different ways. That's why the monastic community, the temples are so important to us. We can practice generosity with them. We, we can have patience there. We can have the diligence there, the meditative concentration, all these different, the, the prajna paramita, right? The, the prajna, we can get that uh, or help get towards that point through learning with, with the monastics. There could be a class or maybe we're reading a book or it's part of a dharma service different ways and it, it looks all sometimes cultural or maybe it sometimes looks like oh well, that's just a ceremony it's all skillful ways to help us develop the paramitas these six paramitas which is amazing and wonderful because all of us in, in mahayana buddhism we're on this path of the bodhisattva so the mahayana path is a bodhisattva path towards becoming a buddha and so these paramitas are central to us do you have any questions about the six paramitas? I'd love to hear back from you. You can send me a message from my website, alanpito.com. You can leave me a message on social media. And I look forward to talking with you in our next episode. Thank you.